This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Coming up, we introduce a new member of the CARP family. Laura Tamblin Watts is the group's first national director of law and policy research. We'll talk about what she hopes to do for you. And at 100, Orville Rogers is literally running into the record books. The century-old sprinter set five world track records last week, and he's not stopping there. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Thousands of people demonstrated in Paris expressing solidarity with the family of an 85-year-old Holocaust survivor who was murdered in her apartment last week. Prosecutors are treating the killing as an anti-Semitic attack. Mireille Noll was stabbed to death inside her home, which was then set on fire. Two men have been charged. There's suddenly a hot job market for workers over 50 in the U.S. The latest unemployment rate for people 55 and up is lower than the rate for the entire country. It's no secret that many boomers on both sides of the border want to work, often fearing they don't have enough money for retirement. As the job market springs back to life for Zoomers, companies of all types, from banking to health care, are wooing older workers with a variety of programs. The name may sound ageist, but the idea could solve the problem of aging in place. So-called granny pods are usually built on the property of a family member or caregiver. The pods are typically small homes that offer wider doorways, walk-in showers, and slip-resistant floors. Basically, independent living while still close to support if needed. Happy anniversary, Viagra. This week marks the 20th year the little blue pill that revolutionized sex has been on the market. Originally developed to treat high blood pressure, it quickly showed an unexpected side effect, making sex possible again for millions of older men. A third of men over 40 suffer from erectile dysfunction, according to a study published in European Urology in 2002. For Alexander Doba, facing the wide open sea is a way to feel alive in his 70s. The French sailor has completed his third and by far most dangerous solo transatlantic kayak journey, starting in New Jersey and ending in France. He was greeted by fans when he touched land at the end of 110 days at sea. <laughs> I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. CARP 
welcomes its newest team member. An expert on aging, Laura Tamblin-Watts becomes the group's first national director of law, policy, and research. Laura brings years of experience to her role, including as national director of the Canadian Centre for Elder Law. She dropped by the studio so we could get to know each other. What's your background? So I'm a lawyer, and uh, that always makes people's eyes shift to the side. But having said that, I've been working really exclusively in law and aging issues for about the past 15 years. I teach as well at the University of Toronto. CARP has always been very active in advocacy and in trying to change the laws. So how are you hoping to build on that? Where I think my role will add will be expertise in aging more broadly, being able to make sure that we provide reports to our members, but also to government that are a bit more uh, substantive and researched, and allow the an opportunity for partnerships with new external partners. So really adding on to the pieces that we're doing already. There just has been an Ontario budget. Is there going to be any kind of change in the way CARP would approach a provincial or a federal budget or anything like that? I think it adds to some depth that we have right now. So sure, we're going to be in there in our uh, opportunities to look at what are the key issues top of mind, but it will allow us also an opportunity to go a bit deeper into the issues and to make sure we make the connections between what the research says and what the policy should be. We're heading into a very contentious election in Ontario. We have a liberal government that's been in power for a very long time that is putting out goodies like it's Christmas and we have the other parties coming out with platforms. What is your hope for this season, which I'm sure CARP sees as a huge opportunity? About 72% of all older adults vote in Canada, and CART members vote almost one-to-one, really. It's it's about 98% of all CART members vote. So really, it's a force to be reckoned with. I think what's going to be important for us is to make sure that the top-of-mind needs of CART members are matched with the platforms that folks are moving forward with in the political field. But I'm also hoping to be able to be able to bring some of the, the key statistics, the key research and to provide some recommendations for policy and law reform on a bit of a deeper level moving forward. We had uh, a very unfortunate remark from the Premier about old white people voting, which she would not apologize for. We've seen big promises on an item like daycare, which is obviously aimed at a younger demographic. So do you see either an attempt to lessen the voting power of Zoomers or do you see it happening gradually or anything like that? I think this government knows that it's got a bit of an uphill battle and is in their budget release. You can see there's really something for kind of each voting cohort. I think there is a concern that folks are going to be looking for some new opportunities and new platforms, and they're promising a lot in response. There's a big investment in mental health. A lot of that is child and youth mental health. There's a big investment in, as you said, daycare, which is a platform issue. And there has already been a lot of work done in terms of farm. So there's clearly a focus on looking at younger voters and millennial voters and Gen X voters. 
Adding to that, of course, is they're promising a lot of investment for older adults as well. So this looks like an opportunity to diversify, but they have to make sure that they keep their eye on what they're trying to get out of their voters. Do you see us ever going to kind of a generational warfare in the voting booth? I think it was a very unfortunate remark Hmm. that the premier made, which did sort of spark this idea of generational warfare. I think we're seeing in the U.S. a real rise of the young in the voting sphere. And I think in Canada, we're going to have to see how that plays out. But what we know is that older people vote and older people are going to continue to vote. So smart political parties will be paying attention to the Zoomer vote. The intergenerational piece is really important. The Gen Xers are the smallest cohort. But what we know is that the millennials are even bigger than the boomers. So focusing on that, I think, is important. Starting an intergenerational war at the election box helps no one. What are your areas of focus? I mean, assuming that we can't have everything, what is the most pressing issue for our demo? Overwhelmingly, it is the question of how do I retire safely? What is a pension going to look like that will get me through? And as people are living longer, you know, defined benefit packages are going down. What are we going to do to make sure that older people aren't living in poverty? About 26.3% of all older women live exclusively on the CPP and OAS. And we know that even with the GIC increase, it still means essentially living in poverty. About 16 to 17% of older men live in that same. So there's a big generational uh, sort of age piece that may not be the same going forward. But for this cohort, it's a big gendered piece. So older women are living in poverty, and that is a big issue. Long-term care is huge. We don't have enough places to put people. As the regulations are changing and refurbishment is happening, those beds are not being replaced or they're moving outside of city centers. Retirement homes are enormously expensive for people and not necessarily meeting the needs. And the time of waiting is far greater than any person could reasonably respect. This government is trying to tinker with home care. And my take on it is that, you know, every time we see a change, it seems to be more administration and less frontline workers. Home care is really such an important piece of the puzzle because if we can help support people stay in their homes longer, we know that that's what they want. We know that that's what families want and it costs much, much less. So it's a real win-win-win. So significant investment in home care is long overdue. Having said that, it doesn't excuse you from allowing a two and a half year wait time in long-term care. There needs to be across the board more dollars helping people and less dollars administrating it. How do you help bring that about? I think that we're going to see a significant push from CARP moving forward to ensure that there's a smooth sense of continuum from layering home care, making sure that there are appropriate standards for PSWs, which are predominantly unregulated right now, PSWs being personal support workers, making sure that people who get services, they're the services that they actually need and want and not just the services that government says they should have. So more flexibility and choice in service delivery is something we really need to look forward at. We need to make sure that as people are aging, that they get supports if they need in retirement homes and make sure those things are affordable. Retirement homes in Ontario are extremely expensive and exclusively private pay. And that's not the case in other jurisdictions. So we need to learn about how we can do better to make sure that people who do want some supports in care 
don't end up in long-term care, but but have what they need and make it affordable. Yeah, that's a, all a tall order. I mean, one of the big problems in all of healthcare is that it's siloed, so everything is separate. So how do you try to break through that and get that continuum of care? Because obviously that's a big problem. It's a huge piece with regards to law reform. You're exactly right. We have different legislation blocking and chunking out each other piece. So part of what I'm hoping to be able to bring with my role is experience in law reform, looking at it to make sure that our legislation doesn't create blockages. What we need to do is person-centered care. We need to make sure that supports are layered on to the people in the place and the way that they want it, and not just because the system has already just been set up that way. That's a big ask, and it's not going to happen by next year. But CARP's really going to work very hard to make sure that that continuum of care is person-centered and that older people get what they need. Okay. Laura Tamblin-Watts, thanks so much. Thank you. That was Laura Tamblin-Watts, CARP's National Director of Law, Policy, and Research. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, a centenarian with an eye on the record books. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. A 100-year-old runner from Texas continues to push the limits of what is possible at any age. Last week, Orville Rogers won big at a Masters indoor track meet, breaking five world records, proving in more ways than one that he is in a category by himself. We reached him in Virginia. Oh, I planned it for many years. I first set records when I was 90 in the age group category. I set the mile record and the 800-meter record. Then I set a lot more when I was 95, and since I recently turned 100, I had my eye on the records for the 100 to 104 age group. And so when I went to Washington, I had planned to set records in every event because there were only two, and they were easy, and the other three were open. So I ran five races, got five goals, no competition, and set five new world records. That was my goal, and I accomplished it. When you say no competition, I mean, how many people were you up against? Well, it's set up in five-year age groups, and there was no one in my age group, but they combined heats to save time. So there were runners with me, but they were all younger than I, so... I finished last every time, but I was first in my age group because I had no competition in the 100 to 104 age group. You had no competition, but there are people from other places in that age group running. Uh, Not in my age group, no. Uh, There was a 102-year-old lady entered in the meet, but of course she was in a different category. What do you attribute? I mean, are you... uh, just a remarkable physical specimen? <laughs> no. No, I work pretty hard at it. I set myself up a pretty rigorous training schedule, and I stick with it and uh, train for it, and I point toward the world meets, the national meets, which are accredited for world records. So uh, I baited my aim, and I've accomplished just about everything I set out to do. How much do you train? Tell me what your training schedule is. Well, it's very low compared to previous years. I only run about six or seven miles a week. 
That's a couple of miles on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I usually lift weights for a short period after I'm through running. It doesn't sound like too much. No, but at, at 100 years old, <laughs> I think I'm doing enough. <laughs> and what about your diet? I don't claim to be on a diet, but I try to eat healthy food. I concentrate on foods that are recommended for their health benefits, like antioxidants and high in protein and low in sugar and fat. And are you really thin? Yes, I weigh 150 pounds. I'm uh, five feet, eight inches tall. Do you uh, drink? Do you not drink? Do you stay away Uh, from certain things? No, I do not drink, and I've never smoked. And uh, is there any advice you have for any other centenarians who'd like to break some records? Well, uh, yes, life is good. Hang in there. Uh, I think I'm doing things right because I'm still around, and uh, I set my goals and I train for them, and I have a very happy life. I lost my wife 10 years ago, but I still have a wonderful family. And uh, I enjoy making new friends because my old ones are dying off. Are you planning to race again next year? At this time, I'm planning to race in the National Outdoor Meet, which is in the state of Washington. It's uh, mid-July, and I'll probably enter the 100, 200, 400, 800, and 1,500-meter races. And are you going to be racing against your previous records? <laughs> well, I don't know because I'm the only hundred year old runner around, but they'll probably combine heats again, so I'll be running against people who are in the ninety ninety five and ninety five ninety nine group okay, well, uh best of luck to you and uh keep running well, thank you very much. I'm enjoying life that was one hundred year old track star Orville Rogers. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, a British rock and roll Hall of Famer celebrates his 73rd birthday this week. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. Zoomers will remember Herb Alpert and his string of instrumental hits from the 1960s. An exhibition of Alpert's paintings and sculptures is on display at Heather James Fine Art in Palm Desert, California. The Met Brewer in New York is examining 700 years of sculptural practice in an exhibition called Like Life, Sculpture, Color, and the Body. In London, Australian actress Kate Blanchett is on stage in a revival of All About Eve. She plays Margot Channing, the role made famous by Betty Davis in the 1950 film. And Amsterdam's Van Gogh Museum has a major exhibition about the influence of Japanese art on the work of the Dutch Impressionist painter. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. English rock and blues guitarist and singer-songwriter Eric Clapton celebrated his 73rd birthday this week. He's considered among the best guitarists of all time. During the 1960s, a decade that defined the modern sound of the electric guitar, 
Clapton played for a number of iconic bands, including the Yardbirds, Cream, and Blind Faith. In the 70s, he went on to form his own band, Derek and the Dominoes, before establishing himself as a solo artist with hits like Change the World, Wonderful Tonight, and Tears in Heaven. Clapton is the only three-time inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We celebrate Clapton's 73rd birthday with one of his biggest hits, Layla. What are you doing? That was Eric Clapton's 1971 hit, Layla. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.